You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Um, it was um, August 16th, 2003, up in Windsor, Connecticut, and the place was the Meal on the River restaurant, and Adrian and David uh, Saman were celebrating uh, their nuptials. They had just been married, and now they were at the reception, and it was a sit-down dinner, and all of their family and all of their friends were there. And, uh, of course, Amanda and David were at the head table, and they were in deep conversation as only people in love can be. And so in the middle of the conversation, something terribly wrong went wrong with the conversation with the communication, and their voices got a little louder. People noticed it, and they just thought, well, they're just excited. And then their voices got a little louder and a little louder until they were, you know, everybody was listening in on the conversation. And Amanda jumped up, and she grabbed the, um, Adrian jumped up, and she grabbed the flowers, and she threw them on the floor, smashed the vase, threw the flowers on the floor. He starts yelling at her. She begins to yell back, Adrian does, uh, to David, and she runs over to the wedding cake and she grabs it and she throws it in the floor. Well, David at that point turns and he runs out the door and she runs out the door behind him and he jumps in his car and she jumps on his hood and he pulls out. He peels out of the parking lot and onto the highway with Amanda in her wedding dress with Amanda, I keep mentioning you. I married you and Nathan, but it was Adrian. Adrian, you didn't do this to Nathan, thank the Lord. Um, uh, but uh, Adrian jumps on the front of the hood in a wedding dress and out into the highway they go. And down the highway, and people see this. They see a man speeding down the highway with a bride in her wedding dress on the front of the car. So they call the police. And by the time the police got there to it, there she was standing on the side of the road. Adrian was standing there. The police pull up to help her. Well, in her loss of control, she gets into a fight with the police officer. She bites him. The other one finally handcuffs her. They put her in the back of the patrol car, and she immediately kicks out the back window. Well, they get her down to the police station there in Windsor, Connecticut, and uh, they book her, they fingerprint her, and they take her mugshot all in her white strapless wedding dress. And then they put her in jail. <laughs> And they catch David and they put him in jail. And they spend their wedding night in jail in Windsor, Connecticut until a family member gets down there with the, with the money to bail them out. Now that is what you call out-of-control communication. Paul talks about self-control. When you come to the end of the fruit of the Spirit, the last one is self-control. And last week we began to look at this and I shared with you about this issue of self-control. But scripture gets very specific about the areas of self-control. It speaks of anger under control. It speaks of your sex life under godly control. It speaks about your appetites under control. It speaks about work under control or your recreational life or habits under control. But do you know the one thing that Solomon talks about more than any other area in the Proverbs? 
that needs to be brought under control? It's speech, our words, our tongue, our mouths. That's why Kirkwood read to you just moments ago these words, the discipline of fools is folly, but the heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. The Word of God has a tremendous amount to say about what we say and about our words and about how we communicate and about our speech. There are over 90 Proverbs that talk about this very thing. More about it than it does about anger or what you do with your money or what you do about work. More than anything else, it talks about your speech. Now, that's something we do every day, and we do it really without thinking much about it. I read a statistic this week that the average American has, on average, every day, 700 different communications. Now, you say, that's way too much. That's got to be wrong. Now, listen, the communication can be a 45-minute call on the phone with somebody about the warranty on your car, or it can be walking by somebody at work saying, good morning, how are you? But we have about 700 communications a day. Um, if you think that's still too high, cut it in half. Do 350. You say that's still too much. Cut it in half. Do 175. 175 conversations a day that we have. A lot of those conversations are with our own selves. We'll just talk to ourselves when nobody else is around. And we usually do it without thinking a whole lot about it. But tell me, outside of the involuntary breathing and blinking of your eyes, what do you do voluntarily 175 times a day? Well, you obviously have at least that much conversation. Men generally speak about 20,000 words a day. Women generally speak about 30,000 plus words a day. And it is, it is all pure communication when we talk with one another and uh, it, it happens to be the area of life that gets us into the most trouble. Read James. There's so much on this, folks, that I've, I've had to just reel it in and in and in and in. James talks about how your tongue just gets you into trouble, how your mouth, how your words get you into trouble. Communication is a major problem for us. Gary Smalley, I had the opportunity to go and hear him speak on an occasion, read his books, have tremendous respect for him. He's going to be with the Lord now. But he said that in talking to over 300,000 people, he said communication is the number one issue in our marriages. Listen to what he said. Without exception and, from far, and for far more than 300,000 people, the answer has come through loud and clear. We need better communication. Well, not just in our marriages, but the same can be said for the church. Uh, we need better communication. I've never pastored a church, and I've never known a church or a pastor where they stood up and said, the communication in this church is excellent. It is always, we never communicate enough. Um, I saw a couple of weeks ago, somebody sent me the picture of a, of a guy with a t-shirt that had, it was in the bulletin and has been for weeks. I'm going to get one of those, I think, one day and wear it to preach in, but we have communication issues even in the church. Do you know how many people it takes to split a church? doesn't take half the congregation. All it takes is one person who will strike that spark of some negative speech 
and one other person to stand there and listen to it instead of confront it. Now, I've preached at Brooklyn Tabernacle for Jim Cimbala before. And um, the night I preached, I think we had somewhere around 20, 24 people that came uh, to give their life to the Lord. Do you know what Jim Cimbala does when somebody joins his church? They line them up. He lined them all up, had them all out there. And he goes down and he introduces and speaks and he turns around and I want you to listen to what he says to him. He'll look at him and I thought I knew what he was going to say. I thought he was going to say, you have a responsibility, be in church, be, you know, get in a small group, study God's work, da, 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 da. Do you know what he says? He turns around and he says, you have the responsibility now that if anybody in this congregation comes up to you and says something negative or out of the way about any person in this church, any staff member, any pastor, that you look them in the eye and say, stop that sin right now. And let's go to the person that you're talking about and get it straight. That could be why Jim Simbla and the Brooklyn Tabernacle have had the tremendous ministry that they have had down through the years. It is a place that is not just fun. It's, It's fun to preach in that place. Now, let me tell you, they will absolutely wear you out. But it is a place of great peace. I feel that way about this church as well. God has given us an unusual peace in this place. But that is exactly what Paul calls for all through his epistles. Just put your finger in Proverbs chapter 16. Go with me to Ephesians just for a moment. And in the fourth chapter, he is giving them the instruction about the church, really about ecclesiology, how the church is laid out. And he comes in this passage and he says, beginning chapter 4, verse 7, to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. All of us, everybody here that knows Jesus Christ, we're the recipient of God's grace. We've all been given the grace. He says, now this is the way we relate in the church. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of you. To equip you. The saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature person. Maturity. A mature person. Now, in this same chapter, in this same vein, listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 29. So, because of that, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That is building up, inspiring, instructing, strengthening. And in the same immediate context, he says, behind that, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. One of the great ways we grieve the Spirit of God is by the way we talk about one another. Woo, amen. We grieve the Spirit of God by the way we talk to one another and about one another. He comes and he says, listen, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. All of that can be expressed verbally. All of the bitterness can be expressed verbally, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. All of that can be verbal. But then he comes and he says this in verse 32. Before he tells us to be imitators of God, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Now, next Sunday morning, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to go right over to the little epistle of Philemon. Only has one chapter. We're going to look at that for about four weeks because it deals with the issue of forgiveness. Now, for all these weeks, we've been dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. 
Last night, I got into a theological conundrum with myself because I wanted to know why is forgiveness not one of the fruit of the Spirit? There should have been 10. Now, here I am telling the Holy Spirit what to do. And I I said, well, Lord, we should have made that number 10 here, and forgiveness should have been a part of that. And as I, 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 I was so, it was so heavy on my mind, I got out, out of the bed and I sent a ta- text to Dr. Vines. Dr. Vines wrote the book on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I wrote Dr. Vines and I said, Dr. Vines, you wrote the book on the fruit of the Spirit. Why isn't forgiveness one of the fruits that make up the fruit of the Spirit? And he wrote back and he says, that's a good question. Never thought of it before. <laughs> and uh, through text communication back and forth, he and I came to an understanding that the reason it's not a fruit of the Spirit, it is because it is a product of the fruit of the Spirit operating in the believer's life. You cannot express forgiveness to other people if the fruit of the Spirit is not operating in your life. Next Sunday, same time. Same place, same Bible, there we'll go. And that's what he says here. He says, you forgive one another just as God in Christ, therefore be imitators of God. So he comes and he makes it very clear right there that, listen, we are to put all this coarse speech, all of this hurtful speech, all of the things that are innuendo and insinuate We put that away. We don't talk about each other in that way. We exercise some self-control when it comes to conversation. Now, Jesus does that. We just sang that song, which is an incredible song. Had no idea that uh, Kirkwood was going to do that. I'm going to speak Jesus. And I'm going to speak Jesus because whenever you speak Jesus, there is this sense of peace. John chapter 20. The resurrected Christ shows up and begins to speak to the disciples. And he walks into the room. He either walks through the wall or he materializes in front of them in the room. Uh, But they are behind locked doors and suddenly Jesus is there. And you will find in John chapter 20, three times Jesus says, peace be with you. In fact, he says, peace be with you. Then we're told a little bit of information And then it says, and again he said, peace be with you. And then the next time they gathered in a room where Thomas was there, he appears again and he says, peace be with you. That's the conversation. That's the communication of Christ. Listen, Christ-controlled communication brings the peace of Christ to your life. Now, I've got two things I want you to see out of that. Christ-controlled communication, number one, reflects that we are made in the image of God, that the image of God is in us, and secondly, it builds intimacy between us. Now, let me break that down into the two parts that I want to give you up front, and then I'm going to come in the second point back to this passage in Proverbs. Number one, I want you to see this with God. God gives us the miracle of speech. Have you ever thought about that? How miraculous it is to be able to communicate, to speak, uh, that you have these things called vocal cords, and as air comes over those vocal cords, your tongue and your mouth is able to shape different sounds, and now man has put different sounds together, 
And those sounds now make words when they're saying, I'm in the middle, in the mornings when I'm in the office, I'm reading Alfred Edersheim's The Life of Christ. It's about that thick. But I read it every morning, a little bit of it every morning as my morning devotional. Do you know I'm in Genesis chapter 10, I think. He says they, that scientists have seen that there are three root languages. That all the languages come out of three root languages. Well, lo and behold, how many sons did Noah have? How do y'all just sit there? <laughs> Son, I'm about ready to go Pentecostal. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And out of these three sons, the languages of the world come. Which is amazing. Why? Because it is an absolute gift of God that you have a brain that is able to decipher and decode certain sounds that become words. Look back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. And just look at this. Genesis chapter 1. And the amazing thing is this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, just that. Then God said, he spoke. We have a God that speaks. You can't say that of any other religion that there is. We are the only religion, we are the only belief system that has a God that speaks. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, literally, he spoke everything ex nihilo, out of nothing, into being. He spoke and it sprang into being. It came into being. We have a God that speaks. Do you remember, I, I always think of this, that epic moment in uh, in. Uh, what was that? The Ten Commandments where Moses is standing before Yul Brenner, Pharaoh, and, and Yul Brenner is looking at his God and he's screaming at this idol. I can take you through uh, Jeremiah, through Isaiah. I can take you back to Psalm 115. And in Psalm 115, it says uh, about idols, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. We don't have a God like that. We have a God that speaks. And look at this. Still there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He didn't give 56 other things they could be, just male and female. It's very clear. Language is important, by the way. That's why language is under unbelievable attack in our day. He created a male, he created a female. By the way, I'll tell you the Hebrew on this. He created a male in his maleness and a female in her femaleness. Now that's the Hebrew. Uh, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Listen to what it did, what he said right there. And God blessed them and he said... The very first thing that man heard was God speak, and it happened to be a blessing. Now, that just blows my mind. I've never thought about that in the way I've thought about it this week. That God speaks to man, and the first thing man hears. You get to chapter 3, as tragic as chapter 3 of Genesis is, we're told that evidently God came down in the cool of the day. And that in the cool of the day, God would walk the, uh, the garden with Adam and with Eve, with a husband and a wife, with the couple, with the two. 
and I don't have a clue what they talked about. I, I wish we had something in Scripture that would explain some of that. But here they are, a man and his wife, a wife and her husband, and God in the cool of the... Now, can you just imagine? I just want you to stop for a minute and imagine with me that at about 6 o'clock this afternoon, 6.30, just as the sun is going down in the west, things begin to cool down after a hot Alabama day that you and your husband or you and your wife walk out the front door and God is standing there and you just walk through the yard together. What do you think that would do for your relationship? What do you think that would do for your marriage? What do you think that would do for your communication? You and your wife, you and your husband have just been strolling through the yard talking to God and evidently at some point God leaves to go back to wherever God resides and as he moves through that garden and fades out of sight, Adam and Eve turn and look, what do you suppose they said to each other at that point? Every day communication with God like that. And sin busted it all to pieces. That's why we struggle in our communication. God came and God spoke. You know, one of the most tragic times in all the Word of God, you've got it right here. It's in the Old Testament. If you get to the end of the Old Testament right there at Malachi and right before Matthew, you've got this empty page that happens to be there. You see that? Just that empty blank page? That's 400 years where God was silent. Uh, One of the saddest, darkest periods of time was when God never spoke for 400 years to Israel. Until a baby cried. And John tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The writer of Hebrews comes in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers by the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us through his son. Whom he made heir to all things through whom he also made the world. He was the exact representation of his nature. And it goes on to describe how Jesus was the exact, he was the, he was the exact uh, glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high. So we've got God speaking, we've got Jesus speaking. Now listen, the Holy Spirit speaks. You come to John chapter, oh, John chapter 14, 15. I don't know where it is. I just know it's there, right here. John chapter 16. And listen to what it said in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative He's not just going to talk off the top of his head, but whatever he hears, he will speak. That is, God the Father will speak to God the Holy Spirit, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will speak. The Holy Spirit will speak. 
So when you come to Scripture, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three of them speaking. And they come, and they speak, and they create man, and we are created in his image. And one of the great things about communication is that it reflects the fact that we are created in the image of God. They communicate to one another. I can take you back to Genesis and let you just listen to the language where it says, let us make man in our image. They're communicating among themselves. They're talking to one another. But he made it not just so that we would be able to communicate with him and in that we build intimacy with God. As you pray, let me tell you what you're doing. Every time you pray, when you pray, you are building an intimacy with the Almighty God who gave you the ability to communicate with Him. Now, He also did that so that we would be able to relate and build intimacy between each other. Relationship. And not just relationship with everybody, but specifically relationship between a husband and a wife. You know, statistics tell us that 86% of divorces, they claim, are because of a breakdown in communication. That when they interview people, why did you get a divorce? Why did you go through this? What's happening in your life? It was a breakdown in communication of some kind of way. Well, God gave us communication, not so that we would use it against each other, but so that it would build intimacy between us. Now, listen to the word intimacy. This is what God is doing with communication. Intimacy. In to me, you see. My wife sees me in a way that no one else does. I see her in a way that no one else sees her. It's because of the intimacy of communication between the two of us. This coming Friday, we will have been married for 43 years. And, all, and listen, I'm still learning. And I'm learning to listen and I'm learning to, and I'm just going to give you an example and I'll have to use myself as the example. But uh, men, let me tell you, one of your wife's greatest needs, in fact, it's the second great need in her life is communication. The first great need in the life of a woman is affection. But when you will listen to your wife in communication, when you will talk to her in communication, you are basically fulfilling two of the great needs in her life, communication and affection, because she will see you're listening to her as an act of affection. That pays big benefits, guys. He that has an ear, let him hear. <laughs> I don't need to spell that out for you. And you say, well, why? Why do we have to talk to our wives so? Because, well, because men, we, we run out of words during the course of a day. Even if you make a living at speaking like I do, you'd run out of words. You, you just get to the place where you don't want to talk. And you say, she wants to talk, she wants to talk. And you say, why is that? Listen to me carefully, because that is the way your wife processes stress. That's the way she processes stress. And when she comes to you and she sits down and she says, uh, we've got an issue, I've got a problem, I've got something that I'm really struggling with, and you said, all right, just tell me what it is. Get to the bottom line. Because guys, we want to get to the bottom line. Tell me what it is and I'll go fix it for you. And she looks at you like, I don't want you to fix it for me. 
I want you to sit and let me talk to you about it. I want you to listen to what I've got to say about this issue. Now listen, I've done that for 43 years, almost 43 years, one week shy of it. I'll try not to do it this week. But when she comes and she says, I've got an issue, I've got a problem, the first thing I said, just tell me what it is and I'll go fix it. Now I want you to listen to what Proverbs says about that because in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 7, uh, verse uh, uh, 13, Proverbs 18, 13, it says this, he who gives an answer before he hears, isn't that what we generally do? I'm raising my hand for every guy in here. That's generally what we do. Tell me what it is. And as she starts into it, I jump up to go fix it. And she says, that's not what I'm, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And I have to generally come back and just in my mind, understand, I need to let you talk about this. Your wife needs you to communicate with her. And I'm going to talk about on a regular basis. Now, ladies, I've talked about the men. Let me talk to you in, in, in communication with your husband. Let, let me tell you what does not work with your husband, being contentious, getting contentious. In fact, if you look over to Proverbs chapter 21, you'll read this. And it says in Proverbs 21 verse 9, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That means a woman who is upset, quarrelsome, there's strife that is there, there's upset that is there. Um, we would just translate it, if we were translating this, as nagging. Ladies, that's not the way to communicate with him. It will not work, I promise you. It will not work because nagging to a man is like being nibbled to death by a duck. And you say, what do I do? How then do I communicate with him? The most effective thing you can do, one of the best things you can do is to, is to admire your husband. Most men are greatly in need of some admiration. Just admire him. And you say, preacher, I tried that. years. I tried that and it didn't work. You're just telling me stuff that doesn't work. And I want you to listen to me. And I want you to listen to me carefully. And I'm not saying this to be funny. But men, I want you to, I want you to hear this. And ladies, I want you to hear it. What y'all do is you try admiration and you try listening one time. You think it's like a shot of cortisone that lasts for six months. It does not. Well, I listened to her six months ago. It's like a salve that you take out and daily you gently apply it. You rub it to each other. That is communication between a husband and a wife. And let me tell you, it will heal a lot of wounds. Don't treat it like a shot of cortisone. Treat it like baxitration where you just take it and daily you just rub it on that hurt. And eventually, it begins to build a health into the communication of your life. Now, let me just close this section with this word, and it's this. Do not have conversation with anybody else that should only be held with your mate. Men, you don't need to find a woman at work you can pour your heart out to. You go home and tell your wife. And ladies, you don't need to find somebody at church or in some small group somewhere. 
you go home and communicate with your husband. Because when you become one flesh, there's certain things about the deepest desires of your heart and life that you should share only with that person that God has given to you. Now, that's the first thing. We reflect the image of God, and listen, we build intimacy between us. That's what God intends with your conversation. Number two, Christ-controlled communication thinks before it speaks. Now, that's a hard thing to do, but now go back to Proverbs chapter 16 and listen to what Solomon is saying here. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. Now, does that sound like anything you've heard anywhere else? Sounds like Matthew 15 to me. It sounds exactly like what Jesus is saying. Matthew chapter 15, when he comes and he makes this statement, he says that it's out of the heart. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, slanderers. It is what proceeds out of the mouth. It has come out of the heart. Solomon comes and he says the heart of the wise instructs the mouth. The heart of those who trust in God, believe in God, walk with God, listen, it governs, it, it controls the mouth. It controls the mouth and it controls what comes out of the mouth, your words. And look at what he says at the end of this in verse 23. Still in verse 23, it adds persuasiveness to his lips. That is instruction, insight. It gives insight. Here is a wise man who doesn't just pop off at the mouth and say whatever he wants to say, but he's a wise man and his heart. Listen, let me, if you listen tomorrow morning to Mornings with Mac, I'm going to talk about this out of uh, Mark chapter 12. There was a scribe that came to Jesus and said, come on and tell me, what, what, is, what is the major priority of life? That's what the scribe was asking. Tell me the major priority of my life. What should it be? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus said that's the major priority of your life is to do that. Now, when it comes to heart, I'm going to talk about this in the devotional tomorrow, but when it comes to the heart, we think this is the, the seat of the emotion. No, it's not. It's the, it's in, for the Hebrew, it was the place of decision. I make a decision in my heart. I am going to control my mouth. I will not say this. I will not say that. I will say this. I will not say that. And so it's out of your heart. And listen, Jesus says what comes out of your mouth lets us know what's in your heart. So based on what comes out of your mouth, how does your mate measure up? How do you think they think about how they measure up in your life? Well, he says this. It's going to do two things. The heart of the wise who instructs his mouth and his words are insightful. They give insight. They give instruction. He says there are two things about it. Number one, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. He said, well, now what is he talking about there? Now, the soul is the place of the emotion and the feelings. Um, to the Hebrew, the word is suke, or, or that's what it is in the Greek. But to the, to the Hebrew, the suke, the soul, was the place where you felt things where you were emotive. 
And so he says, here is this wise man who, whose heart controls his speech and what comes out of his mouth now is like, it's like, it's as sweet as honey to my feelings. Have you ever been struggling with something? Have you ever been struggling with an issue, with a problem, with a difficulty or something, and you could not figure your way out of it? You just thought to yourself, I cannot, I cannot make this thing work. I cannot figure out. And somebody comes up and they give you a wise word, and all of a sudden you think, that's the answer. That's exactly what I needed to hear. That's been the solution all this time. It makes you feel so good that you've gotten a wise word and I have a solution to the issue now. But now look at the second thing that it does. He says it brings strength to the bones. Why are you able to stand up? Well, I know you got muscles and tendons and ligaments and all of that, but let me tell you, all of that's wrapped around a, a bone structure in your body. Your frame, you're able to stand up because you got bone. It holds you upright. I'm upright because I got bones in me. And, and I'm standing up. You're, you're sitting up because you've got bones in you. And to the Hebrew, the bone was the seat of wellness or sickness. Because when you got sick, you got what? You got weak. I can't stand up anymore. I got I to gotta lie down. So they thought that health was in the bones. So here he comes and he says, when somebody who's a wise man comes up with an instructive, insightful uh, word that gives you insight and light into an issue, it not only makes you feel good, it gives you strength to say, I can do this. I can go. I've got courage now. I've got some resiliency now. I've got some energy now. I can go and make this thing work. I can go and solve this issue. I can move on. That's what he's talking about with communication, that you think before you speak because your words have the power to do that for someone. Turn back one chapter and just look at this. I, I, could, I could read this all day, but just, just listen to this. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools... Just spouts old folly. A soothing tongue, verse 4, is a tree of life. But perversion in somebody's tongue just crushes your spirit. Somebody can say a word to you and suck the life out of you. Just suck the life out of you. And you feel like, what's the use anymore? That's why a Christ-controlled conversation, communication, thinks before it speaks. Now, let me just close with this. And I want to close with this, and it's, there's no political statement being made. So just listen to the story. Ronald Reagan was called the great communicator, and there was a reason for that. He knew how to communicate. Um, but he didn't just know how to communicate politically. He knew how to communicate in his marriage. In fact, he was able to do it so effectively that the last few years of his life when he had dementia, Nancy Reagan nearly broke her health. She nearly broke her health taking care of him every single day through his illness until he died. Now, why would a woman do that? She knew she was loved. 
because not long before she died, she released a book uh, of love letters that he left her. I want you to listen to one of those. It was February the 14th, 1977. Valentine's Day, and he writes, Dear St. Valentine, I am writing to you about a beautiful young lady who has been in this household for 25 years now, come March the 4th. I have a request to make of you, but before doing so, I feel you should know more about her. For one thing, she has two hearts, her own and mine. I'm not complaining. I gave her mine willingly, and I like it right where it is. Her name is Nancy. My request of you is, could you on this day whisper in her ear that someone loves her very much and more and more every day? Also tell her this, someone would run down like a dollar clock without her, so she must stay right where she is. Then tell her if she wants to know who that someone is, just turn her head to the left. I'll always be across the room waiting to see if you told her. And if you'll do this for me, I will be forever happy knowing that she knows I love her with all my heart. Thank you, someone. No wonder that woman would die taking care of that man. Because he did that almost on a daily basis. He wrote a love letter to his wife. I want you to listen to me. God wrote you a love letter, and it's not Valentine's Day. And this is it right here. And he wrote you to tell you this. He loves you. So much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. And that if you would believe in him, there's no need for you to perish in an eternal hell. But you can have everlasting life because Jesus loves you. Let's stand. That's God's communication to you. That he loves you. That you matter to him. That he loved you before you were ever born. You ever think about that? Did God know that you would be here? Absolutely. He knew it in eternity past. And he knew that in a point in time, you would be told that he sent you a love letter, his word. And that in his word, he tells you in that love letter, he loves you. The response now is for you. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why not today? Why, why would you not respond to a God like that? Who loves you and cares for you? Who died for you just to give you the opportunity that in a moment like this to step out and say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust that he loves me. I'm going to trust that he cares for me. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in him for all of eternity. Father, thank you for that. 
Thank you for this love letter we call a Bible. Thank you, Lord God, for sending your son to show us how much, to demonstrate how much you love us by sending him to a cross to pay for a debt that I, I could never pay for. For raising him from the dead so that I would have a picture and the possibility of eternal life. Lord God, I pray that you would help us in our communication in marriage between husbands and wives. Help us to understand that you gave us that communication as a gift, a miracle. And that, Father, you gave us that ability to communicate with you, to praise you, to worship you. And you did it so that we could build intimacy between one another and with you. Lord, I pray that our love for you would be expressed in this place. First of all, by how we talk to one another. And Lord, also by our worship of you. And that this invitation, Father, is a worship experience itself. How will I respond to what God is saying to my heart? For we pray it in Jesus' name. How will you respond? Would you come with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? God is speaking to your heart. If there's communication going on right now between the Spirit of God and your heart, would you come and make the decision that He's calling you to make? You come right now. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.